Hey, welcome to the Church on Boulevard Sermons Podcast, an extension of the ministry of Church on Boulevard in Richmond, Virginia. We hope that you'll find your time meaningful and that you'll live life to the fullest as we grow together. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, yeah, and it's also written, (laughs) I, I added the yeah, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This is God's word. Yeah, you can have a seat. Thanks, Paige. Lord, your word has power. You have uh, a living, active presence in this room right now, in many of our lives. We don't often see it because we're stuck in wilderness periods. But Lord, you, the truth is, you care about us no matter what, and you're always with us. You're always right, closer than a brother to us, right next to us. Father, this morning, would you transcend anything that I share and let your gospel come through, let your words come through? You have direct access to our imaginations. So would you penetrate into our minds to help us really see and feel and experience what you are teaching us through this word. And then, Lord, press that into our hearts so that then it can come out into our bodies as we go into the week and seek to not just think about godly things, but to live, to mature, to grow into resilient people. Yes, resilient people of faith, but because we know you, Jesus, and because we know that you love us, we'll be more confident. We'll have a deeper sense of hope We'll have a stronger sense of identity. We'll be able to bring health and healing to the world. And that's what we desire, Lord. So please move and work in this time. We pray in your name. Amen. I, uh, I was thinking about a phrase over and over again this week as uh, I was thinking about the message, which is, life is not easy. <laughs> Life's not easy. It's not easy for anybody. There's a book I had to read in middle school, The Outsiders, about two gangs that get in a tiff. I don't know if a tiff 
I clearly wasn't in a gang. Um, two gangs that brawl or whatever, and there's wealth and there's lack of wealth on both sides, and there's this line that keeps repeating throughout the novel. Maybe you know it. It's hard all over. It's hard all over. Doesn't matter who you are. Suffering, a season in the wilderness and struggle is inevitable. But spiritual maturity in those seasons is not inevitable. It's not guaranteed that you're going to grow because you go through suffering. But suffering has a unique capacity to help you grow. Life is just not easy. Seasons of struggle in the wilderness are inevitable, but spiritual maturity in the wilderness is not inevitable. And Jesus is in the wilderness in the passage that we're looking at, and he shows us how in the wilderness, it can be a time of temptation. And he shows us what it means to mature through the temptation and trial and turn them into training. To mature through the temptation and the trial and convert them. Jesus has something in him and he hands us something that lives inside of us. See, the Christian is not immune to hard seasons in the wilderness. The Christian is not immune to struggles. What Christians have is something in them that takes that struggle and converts it so that suddenly that struggle, that trial can make them greater. And that is what we see in Jesus today. Uh, Robert Gulick um, and Janet Hagberg, I think I'm pronouncing that right, they are Fuller Seminary, and they wrote a book called The Critical Journey. And the critical journey uh, for them was based on years of anecdotal evidence and research as they're both uh, therapists, uh, pastors, professors, and they were gathering data from all sorts of life stories of people um, in ministry, people who are not Christians but view themselves as spiritual, um, all sorts of people. And they realized there's, though it's not linear progression to grow spiritually, and... Though everybody's journey is unique, everybody's journey is also similar. And while it's just a theory that they present in the critical journey, they point out six stages of development that they say most people tend to go through these stages and they tend to go through them in a certain way. And I think it's really helpful because this is not uh, capital T truth, it's just a theory, but I think it's going to be a helpful frame for us today especially for those of us who are disillusioned with church, who have maybe had church experiences and aren't sure what to do with it right now. Because I think we're going to see why many leaders in the church fail. And it's like, why? They were so high up in the church. Why did they fail? We're going to see a lot from understanding a bit of this critical journey. I'm not an expert in it. Uh, if you want to check out the book, it's called The Critical Journey. But I'm going to use it as a frame this morning that we're going to set uh, the content of the sermon inside of. Sound good? So before I jump into studying the text, let's just look at a little bit of what Gulek and Hagberg say. The first thing that they note is something I've just said, that spiritual maturity over time is not inevitable. You aren't guaranteed that you're going to become a better person over time. And I think all of us know that that's true. We've seen tons of people become worse people with time, more bitter, more closed off. And then we've seen some of those people that by the end of their life, you just want to be next to them. You don't even have to hear them speak. And you feel like you're growing just being in their presence. What's the difference? It requires intentionality to mature spiritually. Here's the other thing you need to know. We all get a spiritual education. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're religious, 
or not. We all get a spiritual education because we all have a soul. And our soul is either moving in the direction of union with the divine and peace and love, or it's moving in an opposite direction. But those are your choices. So they lay this out um, using uh, stage theory. Stage theory, not like I'm on a stage theory, but like stage theory is in stages of development. So here's what they found. They found that there are uh, essentially six stages that someone will go through if they want to become a person that's seasoned with love. The first stage is a recognition of God. Christians might call this conversion. You might, uh, in AA, they'll say this sense of need. You become desperate and you realize you need a higher power to get through life. Um, you have this sense of awe and wonder that there's something greater in life, and that greater thing is a real, intelligent, personal power that you have access to. So that's a recognition of God. Then they call this the life of discipleship. I don't know that I would call it discipleship. It's, it's basically you start practicing, you start learning how to pray. You learn the basic truths of your faith or religion, um, in this case, Christianity. So there's practice, teaching, and then you start joining in community. You go to a church, you get involved. Then stage three, the productive life. It's when you start to use your gifts for God. You start to recognize that uh, all the information and inspiration, this is stage two, you feel like you develop from information and inspiration. This is why it's actually, and this is all good. You want to go through these stages, but it's why when you're younger or you're early on with church, or it doesn't have to be church, uh, it could be any environment where you're starting to learn new information, new, getting good communication each week, and you're getting inspired. You feel like you're developing a lot. You feel like you're growing a lot. You're just getting better. That's the life of discipleship. So then you start saying, well, I want to help other people get better. So you become really productive. And this is the season where you'll start doing things for God. You'll start understanding your gifts a little bit more and using them to serve God in the world. You're successful, the, uh, the authors say, and you're working to be successful. And you're energetic usually during this time. You're on fire using Christian language. Think church leadership at this point. You be, if you've been in the church for a while, this is when you become the small group leader <laughs> or you start serving in the church in modern mega church language. Okay, but then something happens and you have to go through a journey inward. We might say you deconstruct. You have to break down. Sometimes you have to go backwards um, in order to reconstruct your faith. And this is the rediscovering God journey. Listen to what, they say, what these authors say. Something has happened you used to be sure, and now you're not so sure about what you believe. Uh, you thought you had a lot of your life and faith questions sorted out and resolved, and then you find out there's penetrating and unanswerable questions arising in you, and you don't know what to do with them. And this is about the point in time where you'll hit a wall, or what we see today in Jesus' life, the wilderness. And the wall is like this. It's the place on the faith journey that's least recognized and it's most avoided by us, including the church. Here's what they found, and I'll say a little bit more about the wall in a second. They found that most people stall out somewhere around this point. Maybe you see it in the millennial generation because we are the notorious generation of therapy. We're always healing but never healed. (laughs) 
There's always a problem. We never get past the journey inward. We're stuck. We're just on loop. Or maybe around the productive life, somebody has been put into leadership too fast because leadership, it's not inevitable in leadership that you're going to mature spiritually. You can, but leadership can also really mess you up. And so great Christian leaders get put into leadership during the productive life. And in our modern church environment, they say, is really, really good at getting people from recognition of God to this basic practice of discipleship to then the productive life. And then you think that is the pinnacle. If I'm a small group leader, if I can preach a sermon, that's the pinnacle of the spiritual life. But something inside you says that can't be true. And then you run into the wall or you go into the inward journey and you realize there's more questions you don't have answers to. And then you feel like you either need to graduate church and leave it if you want to grow spiritually because church just doesn't have anything for you. Or you deconstruct to the point that you never reconstruct and you feel like you got to go someplace else. But remember how I said a spiritual education is inevitable? Wherever else you go, you'll just restart the journey they found. So for example, you leave the church to get involved in your career you're going to convert into that career. You're going to have this recognition of like, oh, I've never seen life this way before. And this is so helpful. And I'm making a difference. And I'm doing good in the world. And then you're going to start learning the basic practices of your career, how to show up, how to make your boss pleased, how to do all the right things so that you're getting better at your skill. And then you're going to become a leader there. You're going to start leading a team and managing. And then you're going to hit the wall again. And what do you do then? What do you do when you hit the wall then? And they found that most people never get past, the majority of people, especially Christians, never get past stage three because they think that's the pinnacle and they keep restarting the journey over and over again. They either stay in the church and cycle or they get out of the church, they leave it behind and they keep restarting and they never feel like they get their life together. And there is good news on the other side of this, but I want to pause here for a second. Have you hit a wall? Just take a minute and think about it. If you, if you hit a wall, maybe a better way to think about it is this. The wilderness. Have questions arisen where you either can't answer them or, here's another definition of the wall, a major crisis point at which everything is on the line suddenly. You feel like everything inside of you could change depending on whatever decision you make. Or something has happened to you that was unavoidable and you can't help it and it's going to either crush you or you're going to grow through it. To use line from AA, the only way out is through at this point. And you know that, but you also know how to avoid it. There's drugs, sex, alcohol, all the, all the basics. There's also the phone. Scrolling is a great way to avoid pain. It's not always bad to avoid pain, but in this place, if we don't go through it, We'll never learn the life of surrender. And it's the life of surrender that will open us up more to God. I think the wall is what's illustrated in Jesus's wilderness. And the only way out is through. And the only way through, I believe, is through Jesus. So we're going to have to go through this text this morning to get to the other side. But I want you to take a minute and just think, have you hit a wall? Are you in a season of wilderness? Have you come out of it? Where are you at? on the spiritual path. Just take a moment.
All right. So that's not nearly enough time. <laughs> but we aren't supposed to cover all of the spiritual journey in our Sunday gathering. We do that with one another and with God throughout the week. So let me move, because um, hopefully we'll be able to move in a positive direction with all of this. So we're looking at the temptation of Jesus, and I want to use three headings that I think are going to help us understand how we might mature through the wall so that our suffering can be a place where we, where we grow, not just a place that we avoid. <clears throat> the first is we got to look at the complexity of evil, the complexity of evil. The next is we need to understand what is our spiritual battle, what's going on. And then the final is how do we fight back with the gospel? How do we learn to fight the way Jesus fights in this passage? All right, the complexity of evil. All right, here's the first thing we need to notice about this passage. It'd be very easy to miss the very first word. But the first word in our passage, this is the first word of Matthew chapter 4. It says, then, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Then Jesus, something has happened before, and now something's happening to Jesus. What happened right before is Jesus was baptized, and he came out of the water, and we learned last week that he was immersed in Trinitarian love. And the Father booms out, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, that before Jesus has done anything, before any of us do anything, we come to a place of awe and recognition that God is pleased, he loves us, despite our failings, despite what we might think as inadequacies, he loves us. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness. And who leads him there? The Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness. Notice the Spirit of God does not lead him into temptation. I've yet to find a passage where God leads somebody into temptation. However, we're taught to pray, lead me not into temptation. So God's capable of it. But he doesn't lead him directly into temptation. He leads him into the wilderness. And the wilderness is where Satan, or the devil, he leverages it for temptation. Interesting. Then, toto is the word in Greek. Then Jesus is led into the wilderness. This word does not just mean chronologically then. It's one of Matthew's favorite transition words. And when he uses it time and time and time again, it's such a small word, but he's connecting and linking stories. What we're supposed to see is that the story that preceded it is extremely significant to understanding the story we're in. And here's what I'd like to say. I think the principle is this. I'm stealing this, this language from Tim Keller so we can all feel like I have some credibility in what I'm saying. Spiritual baptism, therefore, spiritual battle. Spiritual baptism, therefore, spiritual battle. You're baptized, you're going to do battle. You know that you're loved, you're going to do battle. I mean, how common is this experience? In every facet of life, you come off this high, and then you end up in the valley. It's so common. What do we do when we're in the wilderness? What do we do? The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, not into temptation, but it's in the wilderness that the devil uses it for temptation, and that word to be tempted is really, really important. Parad, what did I put on there? Oh. All right, let me make sure I get this right. I'm not a Greek scholar. Parazzo. Parazzo. It can mean test or tempt. It can mean test or tempt. So notice what's happening. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. 
to be tempted, right? Or to be tested. Well, Satan's going to use it for temptation. Because what is temptation? Temptation is a way of elevating the momentary pleasures and minimizing long-term consequences. Come on, get this thing. You need it right now. Instant gratification. In other words, it's elevating your pride. You can handle this. Take this thing. Have it. That's what temptation does. The point of temptation is your destruction. But testing is very, very different. Satan tempts, God tests. Testing is training. God always uses the wilderness to bring his people through. It's a a trope throughout scripture to bring his people through to deeper character and deeper intimacy with him. The wilderness is a place of God's testing, but it's a place of Satan's tempting. And that word means both. And I think Matthew uses it very intentionally to teach us that when we go through these hard seasons where God's not even there and we feel like we're in the wilderness, where's God? What's going on? It might be a place of training for you, but it's likely going to be a place of temptation as well. John Mark Comer says this about the devil, because we got to talk about the devil, right? (laughs) Does anybody here even really like believe in the devil? Like, really? Do you really believe in the devil? I mean, we, I see you nodding your head, Dwayne. I see you nodding your head. (laughs) Haven't we evolved past believing in the devil? I like what John Mark Comer says about the devil. Um, The devil is intelligent evil. In other words, you don't have a very complex view of evil if you don't believe in the devil. We think we've evolved past believing in the devil. But I would say that if you don't believe in the devil, then you don't have an understanding that evil not only occurs in the human heart, which we believe, that's sin, but that there's a force that's intelligent that works in the human heart like a network connecting all the sinful people together to create systems of evil. Is there an intelligent evil in the world at work? John Mark Comer says this, the modern secular world laughs off the idea of the devil as a relic of the pre-scientific age. But for Jesus, there is an invisible and intelligent evil at work in the world. But his primary strategy isn't what many of us would expect. It's lies. Fighting the devil is first and foremost about a war to believe the truth over the lies. What is temptation if not telling you that you're stronger than God? You can handle this momentary thing. The long-term consequences aren't going to be that bad. At the very beginning of the Bible, Eve is promised an apple because surely God won't kill you if you eat this apple. And it's so tasty. And the word that's used over and over again in the Hebrew is, it's desirous. It's just dripping with desire. Just do this little thing. The long-term consequences aren't so bad. The tactics of the devil. He has three temptations of Jesus in this. Turn stones into bread, jump off the temple, and the angels will catch you, and you can have the kingdoms of the world. What do all these three temptations have in common? They're all good things, and they're all lies. Turning a stone into bread, it just said Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry. It is a good thing to eat bread when you're hungry. But the commonality there is that Satan is saying, here, use your power to serve yourself. Did Jesus come to serve himself? 
Matthew 28, 20, 28, Jesus says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Ah, do you see what Satan's doing there? He's undermining his calling. The lie is you're not really called to serve people, to love them, to care for them. Jesus never once uses his miracles to serve himself, ever. And he's not going to do it here. But the temptation is, feed yourself. Take care of yourself. In other words, do something that's relevant. Right now, you need bread. Come on. Come on, Christian. Do something that is going to like impress people. Connect with people. Feed them right now. You're strong enough to do it. And Jesus, if he were to do that, he'd be using his power outside of what God has given him. And he has decided, I'm going to, I'm going to stay strong in solidarity with humanity. And human beings can't just turn stones into bread. And I'm not going to do it either because that's just self-serving. He's trying to undermine his calling. It's a lie. It's deception. That's the commonality in all these temptations. He diminishes Jesus's calling. But what is he also doing? He's diminishing Jesus's identity. He says, your identity is performance. Dance, monkey. (laughs) Dance. Do it. Perform. And that's what the next one is, too. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Now perform religiously, right in front of all the religious people. Go to church. Do the right thing. These are good things. But you can get very, very lost from God and still go to church. Because spiritual maturity is not inevitable. But spiritual education is, the wilderness is, and if you don't deal with it rightly, there'll be a problem. The first temptation is, use your miracles for yourself. The second is, throw yourself down and let the angels catch you. Do not die. Protect yourself. Well, what was Jesus' mission? To come and die. Later, we'll see that Peter, when Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to have to go die, Peter says, you'll never die. And what does he say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Jesus refuses not to die. Because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And he knows that he has to complete his mission. So the second temptation is you don't have to die, Jesus. And he says, no, I do. And then the third one is, come on, Jesus, be powerful. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. You know what? You don't have to do the religious thing because we get it. You might lead some of the religious people astray. Come out into the marketplace. Look at all the wonderful things you could have if you're just a successful business person and let people see how successful you are. Think about it. Isn't, aren't you blessed by God if you have a lot of money? Jesus, show how blessed you are when you have a lot of money, a lot of things, and a lot of possessions, and show that you can do it on your own. I tell you what, you don't even have to worship me for life. One bow, bow to me one time, and you can have all of this power. Take up your power, Jesus. And Jesus says, nope, I won't do it. Why? Because what is Jesus' identity? Not to take up power, but to lay it down. Jesus came to lay down power, says so in John 10, 18. I came to lay down power. Okay, there's something really interesting happening at this point in the text. Jesus responds and he says, get away from me, Satan. Do you notice that the devil has three names in this text? Three names. What is it? The first is devil. What's the other? 
tempter. And the third is Satan. He's a tempter. That is increasing the lure of momentary pleasure and diminishing long-term consequences. But he's also Satan, the accusing one. You see, there's two voices that can deceive us in life. One puffs you up and says, have what you want right now, you can handle it. You won't get in trouble. God loves you, come on, just do it, you'll be fine. And there's truth in that, God does love you, you will likely be fine. But it's gonna start diminishing your soul. And Satan knows that the more he can get you to do that, the more your spiritual education is taking you backwards, not forwards towards maturity. And he's doing it by propping you up. And Jesus refuses to be propped up. Satan wants Jesus to be powerful. He wants Jesus to be strong. Jesus wants to be weak. But there's another one, accusation. It's almost the exact inverse. What is accusation? What's the voice of accusation that you have in your head? It says, you think you're so good. Look at what you've done. You're a nobody. And Jesus knows that as soon as he bows down to Satan, that's the next tactic. That's why he calls him Satan. Satan, the accusing one, the accuser, the adversary. What's happening is Jesus is saying, I know how you work. You tempt me, you tempt me, you tempt me. And when I do the thing, then you say, how could you? You're not a child of God. Look at you, you gross sinner. Meanwhile, God has always been here loving and wanting you to draw close to him. And sometimes you give in to the temptation and then you feel like I just need to give up. This happens all the time, by the way, with like when I'm talking and counseling young men when it comes to pornography, this is so common. You like, you go a while and you like white knuckle it. You're like, I don't, I shouldn't be looking at porn and modern science says I shouldn't be. And so I'm going to white knuckle and get through it. And then what happens? Eventually they slip up or whatever. I mean, we live in a digital age. Stuff's just flowing at you all the time. And then you're just like, well, I've lost it now. Might as well give up entirely. This happens to addicts all the time. It happens to all of us. You've made a New Year's resolution to keep up with that diet. You failed one time. You gave into temptation and you start feeling sick to your stomach, but then you let that turn into accusation. How could you? What's wrong with you? And then you give it up entirely. You just deconstruct and leave the church. Why deal with all that emotional trauma and pain that God's going to put me through in the wilderness? But what if God's not the one putting you through it? What if God is using that as a training ground to draw you close to himself? And here's, here's what I think we can see, is that Jesus understands that every time we're drawn towards temptation, there's going to be a correlating accusation on the other side of it. And where does it happen? It happens in your mind. The devil might not be a red man with pitchfork. It might be right there in your mind. The tempter, temptation, using pride to diminish consequences. Satan, accuser, using consequences to diminish dignity. Guilt and shame. And what's Jesus' counter move? Scripture. Yep, but more than that. Prayerful scripture. Contemplative scripture. He uses scripture not just pulling out a Bible verse willy-nilly. He uses it with power and access, understanding the whole context of what he's pulling from. It's scripture with an understanding of theology. He knows the gospel. When he is telling Satan these things, he's not just saying it because he found a passage that makes him feel good. He's saying it because he understands that in Israel's history, the scripture was used when all of Jesus' scripture verses in this passage, where do they come from? 
Well, okay. Let me, it's, this is low hanging fruit. I'm not trying to trick you. Um, what's going on in Israel when these scriptures are used? Am I asking that rightly? They're in the wilderness in Deuteronomy. All of these passages come from when Israel is being tempted in the wilderness. Jesus is replaying and where Israel failed, Jesus on behalf of all people is succeeding. And what he's doing is he's rewriting the script redemptively. If Jesus was tempted, we should expect to be tempted too. If he experienced the wilderness, we should expect it too. And what's that look like for us? I think oftentimes it comes with the wall. The wall in the spiritual journey. You've given your all to church and you get burned out making coffee every week and leading a small group and not feeling like you're getting replenished. And so you either feel like I've graduated, the only way I can grow spiritually is if I find something else, mindfulness, meditation, somewhere else to go. Or like I'm, too, I'm above these other people. And there's a temptation there because there's a self-righteousness in that. It's not always wrong though, because I do think the dominant model of church right now doesn't do a great job of getting us through the second half of the journey. It doesn't give us enough tools. But, but that's a temptation to feel better than everybody else when you make that transition. And that's a lot of the deconstructing movement. But there's another accusation that can happen. You haven't done enough for God. The reason you're not feeling it is because you need to do more. So lead another small group. Lead another thing. Add another church program to your schedule. Don't pause and pray and slow down and take a Sabbath. Keep grinding for God. Because if you keep working for God, keep the productive life up. And that's the accusation. And we get stuck or we fall off on the wall. All right, here's some characteristics of what that season can look like based on the, uh, the critical journey. Knowing that it's time to face the truth beneath the surface of your life. You have this sense that you have something to face. You start uncovering your deepest secrets. You feel like you're in the muck. You might call it the dark night of the soul. But what you're learning is, can your will, can God's will become your will? Can you yield to his unconditional love? And here's what we'll find. we'll find that there's a lot at stake if we'll go through the wall. Jesus goes through the wilderness, and at the end, the angels attend to him and comfort him. And here's what we're going to see is on the other side of the wall. Here's the last two stages of the journey. On the other side of the wilderness, there's the journey outward. Once you've done this journey inward, what's it for? Why do you go to all the therapy that you should go to? A lot of us need to go to therapy. I'm in therapy. My counselor just left the room. We need it. We need to work out our trauma. We have to. Hard things have happened to us that are our fault, and hard things have happened to us that are not our fault. Some of the most successful men in the world have no relationship with their fathers. And they're so good at what they do because they just want to be loved, and their dad never showed it to them. And so they're just going to be as good as they can for dad, who's not even around to tell him he loves them they didn't go through the wall. The only way out is through, and the inward journey is about surrender. That's the key word. You're going to learn in the inward journey, if you really go through it with community, with a good therapist, with your church, if you go through it, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a renewed sense of God's acceptance. You're going to experience a horizontal life where you start looking to others, caring for them. You start giving your money away. You start doing the things that you've always said the church should do, but never thought that you could be the one to do them. 
And then you start to have a concern for other people's best interests. In other words, you stop defining love as doing what you want when you want to do it. Love is love. Just do whatever you want when you want to do it, which drives me nuts. And you start defining love as what's best for that person. That's a very different way of thinking about love. Love is the key of everything, but just loving people, what does that even mean? Unless we've gone through the inward journey, we start seeing, I need to walk through this life as a person of depth to help other person, other people become person of depth. And you start experiencing a deep sense of calm and stillness. And this is the least linear part of the journey. You'll go into it, come out, come into it, out. You don't get through the wilderness and it never comes back. You keep coming back. In fact, you can go through years that feels like darkness. If you get to the other side, which is very, very rare, according to their studies, then you experience the life of love. This is living by faith and actually reflecting God. It's characterized by Christ-like living in total obedience to God, wisdom gained through life struggles, and compassionate living for others. You give yourself away. You detach from things and your stress because you're deeply attached to Jesus. And you only get there by applying the gospel in the wilderness. So now we have to talk about that. And that's where we're going to wrap up our message. If you want to be a person permeated with love, you have to go through the wilderness. But you go through the wilderness, and if you really want to get there, you've got to apply a couple key principles. There's plenty of principles out there. I'm going to give you two principles from this text and one practice, okay? Principle one, be weak in the wilderness. What Satan wants is he wants a weak, he wants a strong Jesus. All the temptations are to make Jesus strong because the temptation for us then is if your leader was strong, then you should be strong. And none of us are strong. We're actually weak, but you know when we're most susceptible to having our legs cut out from under us spiritually, it's not when we're weak and we know we're weak because then you're going for help. Then you're praying, you're clinging to God. It's when you think you're strong and you're actually weak. That's when you're most susceptible to have your legs cut out from under you. And our church and I feel like I've been spiritually formed to show strength in the wilderness. Trust God. Just trust God. God's just with you. He just loves you. But our scripture shows us that people lament, they cry out, they grieve, they go crazy toward God with others. We've got to be a community where it's okay for people to be a mess. Francis Chan talks about how in scripture, we're taught to confess to one another and then do our good deeds and our prayer in secret. But we live in a world where we post our good deeds and we hide our sins and it crushes us, it kills us. We join the fight with Jesus when we recognize that the gospel can meet us there. So look at what's happening with with principle one. Be weak in the wilderness. And all of us can do this, every single one of us. None of us are too good. Like you can be weak right now, right, Hank? Like if if you choose to be weak, now if you choose to power up in a hard thing that's going on in your life, that might take some time. But if you decide to lay down and say, God, I cannot handle this on my own. I do it every day. Do it every day. That's the first half of the gospel. You are a sinner. You need God's grace. You need it. 
You need it. You need to be opened up to all. The battle will follow baptism and admitting your weakness is the best strategy against evil, but that alone won't cut it. So you can't sugarcoat your wilderness. You have to struggle with it. Don't be surprised by it. Be aware that there's going to be a wilderness. Even if you're a Christian, Jesus didn't escape it. You won't escape it. Do not go looking for it. The text says the tempter comes to him. Some Christians think they need to make their life harder in order to be okay with God. So my way of performing for God becomes, let me just make my life miserable. This is where I'm in this camp. It sounds crazy, but it actually plays out wonderfully practically. I do things and I keep a running list of all the things I've done for others. And if they don't pay me back, then I'm frustrated with them and I hold a grudge and then I feel self-righteous because, you know, I did the dishes like three days in a row and Paige just kind of walked by the sink a couple times. (laughs) And you're making your life harder so that you can feel better than others. So you won't just grow By going through the wilderness, principle number two is the second half of the gospel. Not just being weak, because you can beat yourself up for being weak all day long. But then you have to learn the other part of the gospel is that you are worth every ounce of God's love. Did you notice that God doesn't speak in this passage? It's just Jesus, the tempter, devil, and Satan. (laughs) Where's God? Where's God for Jesus in this moment? Okay. Now I'm being like a little facetious. God is Jesus. God goes through the wilderness so that we know when we go through it, he's right there. He's not far off at a distance. If Jesus had talked to God at a distance, then we could always go through life in the wilderness thinking, I just got to yell loud enough for God to hear me. I just got to try to reach out to God. But what we see in the passage is that Jesus is actually right there with us. Rankin Wilburn says this. He says, we are not alone. Jesus knows our frame because he assumed it. Listen to this. This is poetic. He knows we are dust because he became it. And now dust sits at the throne of the universe. He went into the depths. He knew no sin, yet he was tempted. What does that even mean? I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. But I know this, that because of it, I can cling to him in the wilderness. And the only way through, the only way out is through, and the only way through is through Jesus. So here's your practice. You don't have to do this. Just giving you something. (laughs) I don't want to emphasize practice too much because then we think we can just work our way to spiritual growth and you can't do that. It's nonlinear. It's a mess. Life is a mess even once you're a Christian, but it can be good and it can be beautiful. And here's how we can move through. I'm stealing this from Rankin Wilborn um, in his book, Union with Christ. I think it's really, really helpful what he says, that we can learn to pray the scriptures through repetition. Just memorize a verse. You pray it. You say it to God. But what we're really wanting to do is get to a place where we're reframing in our mind. So here's what he says. Your natural voice from the moment you wake up each day thinks about you. And it's simple stuff. It's not always bad stuff. What will I do today? How am I going to deal with that problem? What does today mean for me? How do I feel? This is your inner dialogue that's instructing your soul. But you can reframe. So how do you do that? You change the inner dialogue. You don't shame your inner voice. You just insert a different voice. Instead of asking, what would Jesus do or how do I be a good Christian? Don't try to be religious. Just talk with God. 
attach yourself to God. And here's how you can do it. Try using Christ as your conversation partner throughout the day. So you wake up and you say, how do I feel today? And then you're like, oh, wait, what if I reframe that? God, what are we doing together today? What do you have to teach me today? What's on the horizon? What if, if your grace abounds with all, having all sufficiency in all things at all times so that I can do every good work, if that's true, then what's the good thing that you have to provide for me today? Why am I so afraid, God? Search me, know me. God, thanks for that friendship. That meal was delicious. Thank you. Thanks for taking care of me. Jesus did this by memorizing scripture, and you can do that too. If you don't know where to begin, you can memorize scripture. Memorize one of the verses Jesus uses here. Just say it over and over again. Or you can just speak conversationally. But here's what's going to happen. The more you do it, the more it will exercise your soul. It'll put you in contact with Jesus. And as you do that, it'll become second nature to, descri- to discover that Jesus is actually close to you no matter what season you're in. And if you do this now and you're not in the wilderness, then you're preparing for the wilderness. And when you get there, you won't have to do anything fancy. You'll just do what you always do and God will be there with you. So here's, here's where I conclude. The wilderness is inevitable. Spiritual maturity is not The gospel is how you grow. Thanks for tuning in to the Church on Boulevard Sermons podcast. You can find out more about Church on Boulevard by going to www.churchonblvd.com.